and welcome back to Herpological Highlights. This is episode 126. I'm Ben Marshall, and co-hosting, as always, is Tom Major. And we have a salamander filled, a salamander heavy episode this time, which I feel like we haven't done for a long while. Yeah, I can't remember having a salamander episode since, like, episode 16, Slippery Salamanders. Yeah, but that's literally your favourite episode that you continuously bring up. Yeah, I did enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoyed it because at the very beginning I was saying some, like, hurtful words about salamanders and you thought I was talking about you. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, we don't, we seldom actually find the cause to talk about salamanders, which is a bit of a shame, really, because um, they're obviously great and... I remember in episode 16, we were talking about their insane mating strategies where they're sort of like dropping off packets of sperm and females are coming along and picking them up. And there was like all this crazy stuff about how there was like multiple species genetics represented in living salamanders. And it was extremely confusing, bonkers. Yeah, Yeah. it was crazy complicated. Yeah, we're not going to get bogged down in their sort of like mating strategies and things today, but we are going to talk about, yeah, some pretty cool salamanders. I mean, the paper that came out was pretty nuts. But before we get into salamanders, Ben, I've got some news which is going to really excite you. That's not salamander related. It's not salamander related. It's actually, I've got a new referencing software, Ben. Oh. I'm using Zotero. Hey! How hard was it to switch over? (laughs) It took five minutes. It was not hard to switch over. And I got to keep all of my folders. I got to keep all of my highlights, all of my notations. It was amazing. I had to change. You've been unshackled from the... uh... Elsevier-owned Mega Corpo Mendeley. Yeah, I have. And it was actually a necessity because I sort of had Stockholm Syndrome with Mendeley. I decided <laughs> I quite liked it. Yeah, that was their business model and continues to be. Yeah, but they're actually stopping Mendeley altogether. It stops on September the 1st. There's going to be no updates for it ever again, which is like <laughs> in two days. We have a wonderful example of a, a beautiful bit of open source software getting bought up by big corporation made progressively less useful (laughs) and then killed amazing yeah do you know it's actually funny because i seem to recall the conversation when you first switched to zotero you were saying something along the lines of like yeah i don't really want to be like stuck with mendeley because i feel like it's going to eventually go downhill change fundamentally and possibly disappear and i was like whatever mate that was when they started encrypting your own library so you couldn't access it right yeah yeah but you know zotero open source referencing software if you read papers in any capacity you should get it it's great but um yeah i just thought you'd enjoy that i thought it'd be give you a nice opportunity to give me an i told you so at the top of the episode <laughs> it was an inevitability wasn't it you know yeah but anyway, yeah. One speed yeah let's get into this paper so the first one we're talking about is by brown sathe dudley and deban 2022 Gliding and Parachuting by Arboreal Salamanders, published in Current Biology, which is always good for the reader because it means they're nice and short. But yeah, we're talking about wandering salamanders, Anades vagrans, which is a cool name, being a wandering salamander. Vagrans like vagrant mm-hmm. because they wander, especially when it's wet out. And yeah, this other part of the scientific name, uh, Anades, means um, lacking form or shape. In ancient Greek. Oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? I think they do have quite a nice form. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty cool salamanders. They are... Tree dwelling. Yeah, they're living in trees. They're arboreal. They're living in America. They forage around beneath bark or logs. They kind of 
sometimes they wait for invertebrate prey to come to them, but I know that they're also foraging. Otherwise, they wouldn't find themselves up in trees. And they're kind <laughs> of nice. They're very slender, sort of black base color with sort of mottled brown markings on them. They're in the family Plethodon today. Yeah, they've got two populations, one in Northern California and one in British Columbia. And um, I think there's a bit of a disagreement about how the population, the two distributions are like disjunct, they're separate. I don't know why that is. And there's some suggestion that it might have been that they were introduced. Are we going to get into another fox snake sort of situation here? No, that's not, no, not today. Not today. <laughs> I don't know anything about the taxonomy of the species. But there's something going on. Well, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Yeah, not sure. But they're pretty nice. They're pretty cool. When they're threatened by predators, they have a few different little techniques that they'll employ to try and defend themselves. The first of which, and I guess probably their first port of call, is just crawling away quickly, trying to get out of there. Pretty wise. Then, yep. Reliable. If crawling away doesn't work, they'll do the old remain motionless, the opposite of crawling away, mm-hmm, stay still. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also pretty effective a lot of the time. Yeah. And then if they get desperate, they will start, they'll like sort of raise up on their legs and then wave their tail, looking a bit scary like that. And the last line of defense, if they get into a real pickle, is making fast jerky motions, but then suddenly going still. That's going to freak the predators oh, right out. Like it's got some sort of disease. Don't eat me. I'm, I'm diseased. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm dead. too jerky to be food. Yeah. Unnatural movements. Inedible. Yeah, but obviously this paper, pretty exciting title about gliding and parachuting. And even the first line of this paper, they kind of hook you straight in, or at least they hooked me straight in. Wandering salamanders reside in the crowns of the world's tallest trees and have been observed to readily jump from the canopy when disturbed. It's bonkers. That's part of their running away quickly strategy of predator avoidance then is to bail out of the tree they're in well you'd think so right it's probably safe to assume i mean it could just be that living high up in trees they're at risk of falling (laughs) they're just naturally clumsy animals (laughs) yeah yeah but naturally as i think there was some suspicion that these salamanders were jumping out of trees and so the authors of this paper were keen to find out how that works, whether or not they're like gliding or whether they're just sort of falling. And so they constructed this one-of-a-kind salamander parachute tower. Yeah, it's a a vertical wind tunnel, basically, right? That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. It's a little bit more sophisticated than, I'm not sure if we covered it on the podcast, but the Anoli hurricane simulation thing, where they just had a leaf blower and some anoles grabbing onto sticks. Yeah, and they found out that the anoles had evolved because of hurricanes to have longer toe pads. We did that on the podcast. Yeah, we did. They were extra grippy so they wouldn't get blown away. Yeah, and now they all are because the hurricane blew all the ones that weren't away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, as hurricanes are want to do. Yeah, but you're right. Like this little wind tunnel thing. It's like, you know, you can go to... I've never been to one personally, but I know they exist. There's sort of a, a fun day out where you go and do like a skydive simulation. Yeah. And you go in the tunnel. It's like that, but for salamanders. It wasn't voluntary. It wasn't voluntary, no. The salamanders were not asked. They were told. And... um yeah, they sort of just had this yeah vertical wind tunnel and then they were just chucking the salamanders in there and they had the wind set up at the right speed so that it should perfectly balance the um, weight of the salamander. Yes, it was adjusted on a per salamander basis. So each one essentially got the same falling scenario. Yeah. Yeah, and then they just looked to see, right, when, when we chuck them, are they slowing down? Like, 
are they managing to, well, actually the slowing down bit they must have measured separately, but they were also just looking to see, okay, is this any kind of a controlled descent or are when we chuck these salamanders, are they just falling? And obviously being as they'd been witnessed to sort of fall from the trees and survive, they assumed they were doing something to um, control their descent. Yeah, to mitigate terminal velocity and being squished. Yeah, because they don't have, you know, on something like a, a gliding squirrel, for example, or some of the, you know, like the Draco lizards that mm-hmm. glide from trees. Or the flying frogs with their funny feet. Yeah. Exactly. All of these animals have like skin flaps, essentially, membranes which stretch out and allow them to glide more effectively. But salamanders actually don't possess any of that. These things are like cylindrical, basically, with tiny little <laughs> funny hands and arms. If you were going to pick an animal that could go very quickly through the air with minimal wind resistance, salamanders probably in the upper half, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like a torpedo. Right. But um, incredibly, after they chucked all these things in the old vertical wind tunnel, they did find out that they are doing something. First of all, they are traveling, when they're just dropped outside of the wind tunnel, they're traveling 10% slower than they would if they were simply just dropped. So they are managing to slow themselves down and they are adjusting their limbs and their tail and they kind of undulate their torso when they're gliding and that allows them to slow their vertical speed, which is enough. 10% slower is all you need to stop yourself getting smashed into pieces when you hit the floor. Yeah, it is. They don't have anything apparently on their body like flaps. You know, it's a classic skydiver pose with limbs stretched out. They're sort of suggesting that maybe... They sort of have a flatter body than some other salamanders. Because this was the other nice thing. They did compare it to salamanders of less arboreal lifestyles. So you had this vagrant that was very arboreal, a couple of medium arboreal ones and a and a very terrestrial one. And the very terrestrial one just did not <laughs> did not have the sort of what's the right word? Inclination <laughs> instinct <laughs> to slow itself down in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so the one they threw, the one to not the terrestrial salamander, they just chucked in the wind tunnel and it just plummeted. <laughs> well, what was it? Twenty percent of them were inert fall, so a distinct lack of uh, <laughs> effort so in terms of slowing itself down. That's exactly what would happen if you put me in there. Inert fall. Yeah. they're unlike their terrestrial counterparts in that they are deliberately slowing themselves down right and this is kind of similar to observations of other animals that have sort of no obvious means of slowing themselves down so ants spiders and even green animals if you drop them out of trees they modulate their fall in a similar way they sort of wave their arms and tail around but it's pretty amazing because these are salamanders which have been observed to hang around up to 40 meters up in trees And if you're hanging around that high up in a tree and you make a wrong move, well, it could potentially be game over. However, they've gained this ability and they can direct themselves and they can also slow their descent. So I imagine a lot of them probably fall out of the tree and just land further down on the tree. Yeah, because, I mean, it does seem like they have this ability to glide as such. What was the uh, horizontal velocity of 0.7 metres a second? Which is quite a hard thing to sort of picture for a salamander flying through the air. But if it was falling for 10 seconds, it could go seven metres to the right or left or straight ahead. Yeah. Yes. I su- yes. So that's quite a lot. Falling down at 10 metres a second. So it's not like they would have to be falling a very long way to make it seven metres. Mm, I see. Right? I see. Yeah. 
But I think one thing we haven't mentioned about this paper, which is obviously the most compelling part of it, is the fact that there is a video. And there is a video of, there's a number of videos of salamanders in the horizontal wind tunnel making their descents. And it's brilliant. It's so funny. They're absolutely superb. Yeah, I'm pretty positive that those are just openly available as part of the supplementary material of this paper. I mean, obviously, they'll be in the show notes. I'll put a direct link straight to them. Yeah, they just, (laughs) it's exactly what you would expect if you were to picture a salamander in a skydiving wind tunnel tube and it trying to impersonate and successfully impersonating someone practicing sort of the skydiving spread eagle slow yourself down maneuver yeah they do well they do well and um I mean, these salamanders are just pretty, they're amazing kind of generally, in my opinion, you know, all plethodontid salamanders that are native to California lay their eggs in moist places on land. And these ones will even lay their eggs high up in trees in the corner of dead branches where it stays nice and damp. They're laying sort of between six and nine eggs usually. And these salamanders are direct developers. So the young develop in the egg and then they hatch on land and they're already a tiny terrestrial salamander with exactly the same body form as an Mm. adult. It's just a little mini salamander. There's no larval stage, there's no gills, there's no mucking about in the water. They just hatch out as a ready to go salamander. And the females will actually stick around with the eggs. There's been nest attendants observed. They think that they pretty much just stick around until the eggs hatch. Although in some closely related species, there is evidence that the females might linger around and sort of spend a bit of time with the juveniles after they've hatched. So parental care in this group is kind of like in the process of being well understood but crucially you know those nests are sometimes really high in the trees yeah. right so some of these fat salamanders they could hatch out and they might just like bumble off the at the branch and then all of a sudden they're falling 40 meters it's their first act on earth which is an interesting point isn't it because you would have to expect that this sort of gliding behavior well more sort of importantly the parachuting slowing yourself down behavior isn't learnt, but instead somewhat instinctual. I don't know what the terminal... Well, how, how fast a baby salamander can survive a fall, but I would imagine... <laughs> I would imagine a bit of parachuting would come in handy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're born at height. It's no wonder they evolved to glide. I think it's great. And it's such a cool paper, and it's a fun video, which we'll share, and I encourage everyone to find it and watch it, because it's class. I don't think I've got anything else about the wandering salamander, have you? I think that's about, they glide. That's the news, they glide. Yeah, I mean, there's a few little points in the discussion where they're talking about they have sort of relatively longer limbs than other salamanders, so potentially that helps with centre of gravity manipulation and things like that. Long limbs is generally just good in trees as well, isn't it? Right. Arboreal animals have long limbs. Yeah, you you wonder whether one is... That's sort of an accidental benefit of having longer limbs for arboreality is that you have this this help stabilizing when falling but yeah no it's it's quite short it's it's sort of to the point that you've got these beautiful parachuting salamanders and they uh seem to be doing it sort of actively it's not just a incidental thing and it does seem to be connected to uh arboreality as its comparisons to the other species sort of suggests yeah right well let's move on let's move on to our species of the bi week which is actually again going to be a salamander from the family plethodontidae the old uh, air breathers and this is by well they have to stay damp they have to stay damp they can only breathe in damp air <laughs> soggy air breathers yeah well no yeah they're breathing through their skin right i'm pretty sure plethodontidae 
let me just double check that because I don't want to start making wild claims about plethodontid salamanders and then it turns out it's not true yeah they're lungless salamanders but how do they breathe determination yeah, yeah no that's right they lack lungs so they only respire through their skin and the tissues lining their mouth so um, they have to be in damp air for that to work properly so don't Hence let them dry out no don't let them dry out I mean this you'd think there'd be a risk of drying out as you're falling from a tree it's quite a windy environment but, oh, maybe but they just high humidity air yeah it's and fine. it's not for very long true but the species description in the paper is by De Hinton Bailey Serrano Alonso Asensio Cruz Font Rosito Prado Ruiz Villanueva Vasquez Almazan and Ariano Sanchez 2021 a new species of Belita Glossa of the Belita Glossa Franklin Eye group from an isolated cloud forest in northern Guatemala and this was published in Zoo Taxa and 2021 so just last year so we're now traveling south from california down into guatemala and we are on a little mountain ridge called cerro guachmalan probably the worst pronunciation ever but um yeah it's this really isolated mountain ridge it's surrounded by lowlands and on it grows a partially intact cloud forest and this mountain range it's like quite out there on its own, surrounded by lowland habitat. There's a big cloud forest to the west. There's another big one further to the east. But this sort of isolated patch, it's like a sky island, sits in the middle of a lowland. And yeah, it's got a little bit of cloud forest left. And it never been surveyed. No herpetofaunal surveys have ever been conducted on this patch of forest. And some scientists went there the team we just who we just credited and yeah they found a brand new species of salamander what a salamander too what I a mean, treat it's mad yeah it's crazy it's not very often that you see a salamander that looks quite as striking as this i mean it's just jet black yeah we were comparing it to a, like a black wine gum it has that that texture it has the texture, yeah. The texture of the wine gum is yeah. sort of sort of quite shiny, but also matte. Yeah. That doesn't make sense, but that's how it looks. Um, mm, yeah, no, it's matte, but it still catches the light because, you know, in this case for the salamander, it's slightly damp. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But yeah, it's just this jet black, really beautiful, skinny, long salamander with little legs, massive eyes, and little yeah, very, funny... very... I don't even know what you would call them. I little on the nose, hangy nose bits. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you call them. I'm sure it says somewhere, but if you don't know what that word is, then it's sort of circular that you won't know what you're looking for. No, they have the little salamander moustache, though. That's what you're talking about. Yes, that's and, exactly uh, what I'm talking about. And there's a wonderful yeah, picture it's... of their tiny pointy teeth as well. Yeah, which they may use to fight each other. I know some of these salamander species are savages and they will fight for extended periods using their gigantic teeth. Wow. I don't know whether that's the case for these guys. Obviously, they are also predators, so the teeth come in useful for grabbing stuff. But yeah, that's that's what it looks like. This, I mean, they're quite small. How long are we talking? We're talking 60 to... Oh gosh, the biggest one was 87 millimetres SPL. 87. Not monstrous, but not miniature no that's not that tiny so nearly nine centimeters plus probably about the same again for a tail about so, yeah, six you know. for the tail yeah you're not gonna miss it well other than it's you know sneaking around salamander style cryptozoic lifestyle very true so what have they called it they've called it belita glossa quecom 
which you'd think was a spelling mistake looking at that word written down, but it's legit what it's called. It's Q-E-Q-O-M, which is really fun. And the meaning behind it is blindingly cool. So the specific epithet Quekom is taken from the Pokomchi Mayan language word uh, Quekom that means dark in allusion to its uniformly purplish black coloration and the overwhelming darkness of nights within the restricted patch of forest where we found this species. So there you go. It's bright. It's a dark, dark night and it's a dark, dark salamander. Yeah. And speaking of the forest where they found it, I mentioned it was this little patch which has been partly deforested, unfortunately, and is in chronic need of some conservation efforts to stop it being completely removed. But this species itself was actually only found around one individual water spring. It's an area of about 50 meters squared inside the nature reserve where this species was actually found. It's not been found anywhere else. It's thought that it's a ground dwelling species, emerges at night to climb on vegetation. When they were finding them at night, they were sort of half a meter above the ground, mooching about on uh, leaves and twigs and stuff, hunting. And in the daytime, they probably, like I say, go under rotten logs in leaves. Because of this tiny range of like 50 square meters, it's only found in one forest fragment and it's endemic to that area almost certainly because of the isolated nature of the forest fragment in which it's found. It's recommended it should be critically endangered. And as I said, the habitat's also under a bit of threat. Lots of habitat destruction of the cloud forest. In 2018, there was some positive news. It seemed as though there was going to be some conservation actions at the site. Some of the landowners who are private landowners who own the site wanted to try and create a reserve. And they're involving the local people from the Pukomchi Mayan villages, whose language is responsible for the name. Haven't I couldn't find anything else, any update on that, so obviously four years ago. So I'm not sure what's going on with that now. Yeah, sometimes it's just that there are updates about it. It's just when you're dealing with multiple different folks owning different aspects, it takes a lot of time to work things out, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, they talk a bit about the biogeography of this species. So I mentioned there's like a much bigger cloud forest to the west. And mm-hmm. in that area, there is a species called Belitoglossa lincoli. And it's kind of broadly similar to this species, although it's not black, it's black and red. But between those two species is actually this dry river canyon, the Chicksoy River Canyon. And that's like quite a deep canyon. It's sort of like a kilometre and a half deep and it, it happens quite quickly. And down in the bottom of that canyon, there's a much drier environment. It's a river, but it's a seasonally dry forest. And it's thought that that seasonally dry forest is the barrier which has stopped these salamanders mixing. And so they are the most closely related, you know, they are sister brother species those two that you just said so makes a lot of sense that there's a still quite apparent biogeographical reason for that separation yeah yeah and uh, yeah they're probably eating bugs and such on the floor and um, similarly delicious same as the wandering salamander we were talking about they're direct developers so courtship mating and egg laying all occur on land and the terrestrial eggs hatch as a fully formed miniature black salamander extremely cool glorious yeah So I think that just about sums up our episode on salamanders. We had the wandering salamander and how it can fly. Very cool. And then a brand new species, Belitoglossa quecom. Does it have a common name, actually? We didn't mention it. I didn't see a common name when I was reading through stuff. I didn't see one either. The word common does not appear in the paper. Well then. There you go. Maybe it doesn't have a common name, which means, Ben, it's our responsibility to give it one. Black wine gum salamander? Yeah, I mean, that's where my gut went. But um, Black wine gum. I mean, maybe we should sort of... For fun's sake, yes. For serious sake, should definitely, like, relate it to where it is. 
if it's yeah. super like endemic too, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think wine gums yeah. come from Guatemala. No, yeah, maybe it should be named after the mountain ridge, which <laughs> yeah. I butchered the pronunciation of Cerro Guatemala. Yeah. The wine gum connection is is ridiculous. Yeah. It's just so real. It's so there. <laughs> we should do salamanders more often. They're really fun. Mm, yeah, they I found really a bunch fun. of mad stuff in the course of reading for this episode about salamanders with insane teeth fighting each other and like having these extended jewels. And there was a Thunderdome paper from the seventies where they were like pitting salamanders against hedgehogs and seeing who won the what? fight, which which you'd definitely not be allowed to do now. And rightly so. What on earth was that question being asked? Whether a hedgehog can beat up a salamander? Yeah, and then a shrew as well. And some of the time, the salamanders were coming out on top. Not like winning, but doing enough to deter the predators. A lot of them were getting munched. And uh, yeah, the sort of the descriptions of the fights were quite merciless. Like, three salamanders survived five minutes while one salamander survived seven. It's like, Jesus, you sat and watched that for seven minutes, you sicko. <laughs> it raises some questions. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I didn't bring that one to the table. But yeah, it's out there. It's out there for future Salamander episodes. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, worth thinking about. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, have you got any other business? Uh, no, I no, I don't. No. no, I've just got one other business just to say thanks to our newest Patreon, Megan Van Sickle. So thanks very much, Megan. Yeah, thank you. Badass surname. And uh, yeah, we'll endeavour to... Um, keep the episodes coming if you want to become our patreon you can um, patreon.com slash herp highlights massively appreciate everyone on there and uh yeah i think if you want to get in touch with us if we've got any corrections if you happen to know more about salamanders than us which isn't hard <laughs> it's almost a guarantee <laughs> yeah we said something that doesn't make any sense to get in touch we will correct ourselves and you can do that herp highlights at gmail.com we're on twitter and we are on instagram at herp highlights i've been furiously active on social media recently so give us a follow and yeah thanks very much for listening thanks for listening <laughs>